You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And we begin, of course, with the dramatic lifting of the lockdown measures in England from July the 4th, announced yesterday. The government's hoping to save the economy, but there is a risk that it causes a second spike in infections. Speaking at the news conference yesterday, the last one apparently, the Prime Minister was clear that he took full responsibility for the decisions and that he would take action if there were a spike in cases. If the virus were to begin to run out of control, I will not hesitate to put on the handbrake and reverse some of these changes at local or indeed national level as required. But then the scientists standing behind him were clear about the dangers, warning that the virus will be with the UK into 2021. At the same time, a group of leading scientists have written an open letter to the British Medical Journal warning that the country must prepare for a second wave. And among the Prime Minister's other critics, non-medical critics, is Ed Davey, acting leader of the Liberal Democrats, who slammed the decision to end those daily virus briefings. Well, joining us now is his colleague uh, Vera Hophouse, who's a Liberal Democrat MP for Bath. Vera, good to have you with us today. Uh, so if now is uh, it's too early to reopen the economy, what do we do about businesses that have been lying dormant for so long? Well, let's just um, repeat again what in England, and I repeat this is England because the, the other um, United uh, 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 Kingdom countries are doing different things and they seem to be more successful. But in England, the R number has been close to one for the last few weeks. The number of cases in England is still two or three times higher than in all other European countries. And we have a test and trace system that has failed and will not actually be able to pick up so quickly, as the prime minister has said, and he, calls, he talks about a handbrake that, again, shows how, how lightly he takes all of these issues, the handbrake, uh, uh, to, to, to really stamp down when we are seeing rising cases again. So this whole thing, I fear, is an unfolding and never-ending crisis. Somebody has to say that. Our party says that. Um, yes, of course. Uh, you know, I know in my own constituency in Bath, 
uh, you know, particular industries are incredibly hard hit. But it will help nobody if we're getting into a second spike. A little bit of patience, a little bit less risk-taking is probably the right way to do. And I, I, I would far more prefer something that was less, uh, you know, know, just um, gung-ho and also impatient because other European countries are coming out of lockdown. We went into lockdown too late. I think uh, we we shouldn't get out of lockdown in in this um, very, very risky way. We're, I mean, I, you can, I can almost hear the people in your constituency, some of the businesses coming and saying to you, are you really saying that you would rather we didn't have the liberation on July the 4th, that we then couldn't go to, to pubs or cinemas, we couldn't get our hair cut, all those things. I mean, that's an extremely uh, unpopular opinion in, in probability, and not least because it's going to mean economic ruin for a lot of them. Well, well hang on. Um, there's always um, uh, the, the voices you hear loudest and then also... Um, a, 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 a much la- larger group of the silent majority. I know in Bath, uh, you know, my my, my, my my residents in Bath were actually very, very cautious about a lot of stuff that was done by a government. But yes, I am in support um, of my local businesses. The one thing that I have always wanted to add into this discussion is if we are uh, um, moving from two to one meter, why is the government not, not much more explicit, like other countries, on face coverings? We know that uh, if if you are carrying the virus and you don't know it, you but you have face covering, you are 17. Um, it's there's it, a, a reduced from of risk from 17 percent to three percent to to pass it on to somebody else. Why is this government so ideologically opposed against face covering? I look around in in Parliament. I'm the only person who wears a face face covering. Yeah, it's not very comfortable. But, but my colleagues are standing in huddles together. They're not necessarily observing any social distancing measures. If I know that I can actually protect others by wearing a face covering, why on earth is the government not much more explicit about um, a mandatory wearing of face coverings, particularly in indoor spaces? So there are things that, that seems to be ideologically driven rather than looking at the science, the, 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 the practicalities of it, and saying, okay, uh, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are reducing the, 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 the social distancing measures from two to one meter, but in every indoor public space, people need to, to, to wear face coverings. I would be far more comfortable if that went along uh, with, with, the, with the opening up measures. And you mentioned test and trace. That's clearly something that's been tried by the government. It doesn't seem to be working out in the way that they'd hoped. And there are a lot of valid issues around it, not least around privacy. What would your ideal programme look like? Well, first of all, an, an app that actually works. I'm not um, a, a technical person who understands exactly why um, there was such a catastrophic failure of getting this um, up, uh, up and running. It is, of course, it was in, in, incredibly important that we respect privacy laws. So um, my question was always about who would hold that data um, and how quickly would that data be deleted again? You know, those those were the concerns that we put forward as Liberal Democrats about the whole issue of data protection. But an, a functioning app to make sure um, to to protect our population um, from a deadly virus uh, was something that that uh, we, we have to be in support of. It has to work properly, but it has to be uh, in line, of course, with data protection legislation. And uh, you know, these questions about who's holding data, how long can it be there, um, how is it being shared, that has to be open and transparent. Yeah. <laughs>
Okay, what about projecting forward? A lot of scientists now warning about a second wave potentially towards the end of this year. More and more evidence that this is a virus that seems to like colder temperatures. Do you think the NHS is in the right sort of place that it could withstand a, a second outbreak later in the year? Well, the the last few months have obviously given us a lot of extra learning. Uh, and the NHS itself has actually been exemplary uh, and has become the one thing that everybody in the UK is very proud of. And, and doctors and nurses and carers and the frontline services have reacted very well. Uh, and, and so I believe the NHS um, will cope with another uh, a spike again. But uh, what what was the um, what was the sacrifices that the NHS has to make to all those people who were having you know other health problems and that has fallen back very dramatically and we know that that is a massive issue and of course each time a health system it ha- then has to cope with with more numbers than other health systems it's becoming an issue if you've got a thousand cases it's different as if you've got a hundred cases in this country we still have too many cases and that is a problem compared to other countries who have have got, uh, you know, between 100 and 200 new cases every every week, a spike uh, will not mean such a pressure on the health um, uh, system than it would be if, you know, in our country where it's it's still around 1,000. These these numbers matter because they they rise exponentially and it, it puts exponential pressure on a health system if that number of infections is not uh, not much lower and we are not in the right place yet to open out in the in the way that the government is proposing and it will put our precious health system our nhs under you know unbearable pressure again okay so that's the virus i've got to ask you about the lib dem leadership race you dropped out of that i think it was yesterday what was your thinking for doing that well um it, i ran a very positive campaign Um, I got a lot of support. I was always coming in um, from a long way behind. Uh, And uh, so there was a calculation of uh, how can I best promote and support the things that really are important to me in my campaign. Uh, And that is is about moving the party uh, clearly to the progressive centre left and also make sure uh, that uh, our, uh, you know, that the importance of local government and the agenda for decentralising is clearly heard. And I now believe I can do that best supporting Leila Moran. Ed Davey has done, well, a, a difficult job, let's say, uh, standing in as the leader. Do you not think he should continue? I think we need a clear break um, now and, and present a very new face of the Liberal Democrats, what we have tried in the last five years since our catastrophic uh, election defeat in 2015 has clearly not worked. And if we want to move forward, I think we need to have something new rather than continuity of what we had before. We need a clean break from the coalition years. And I believe Leila Moran is just a much better candidate for that. What about this push in the north that you've been talking about, reaching out to voters there? It seems quite uh, sort of counter to what the Liberal Democrats stand for. The EU, uh, social liberalism, these aren't things that the, the north voted for in great swathes in the last election. 
Oh, we had a very strong local government base. Um, we were running councils up and down the, the, the north in, in Sheffield and Liverpool. Um, I, I was uh, a councillor in Greater Manchester in Rochdale. We ran the council there. We did in Oldham, we ran the council. We did a lot of good work at local government level. And, and the Liberal Democrats are trust, trusted councillors in, in all areas of our country. And I think we really need to go back and promote our local government uh, uh, routes. We are providing often the best councillors, the best grassroots campaigners. That's the focus for the party, whether that's in the north or in the southeast or southwest. We just have to get out of, a, of our London bubble. And a party that accepts Brexit for what it is, the fact that it's there? Brexit is there. Um, you know, who cannot ex um, accept that uh, the, uh, we have left the European Union? We have passionately fought um, to stop Brexit, but Brexit has happened now. And the question is, um, what do we do with our, ambi our ambitions, our pro-European flame? Uh, and I personally have said many times, uh, it, of course, we can't talk about a European membership now. We can't talk about it in two or three years' time. Yeah. But we need to keep for a long-term future that flame alive, that our heart right. should be at the center of the European Union. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with a scathing report on the UK border force. The inspection found that the force doesn't know how many detention facilities it runs and that children and pregnant women are being held in poor conditions for far too long. The prison's watchdog also warned of an alarming lack of oversight and accountability in Britain's short-term holding facilities where newly arrived unauthorised migrants are held. Staff have told inspectors they felt as though they'd been forgotten and that there had been no national guidance as to how they should be run. Meanwhile, we've heard from the Trades Union Congress, the TUC. More than one million jobs could be created in Britain in the next two years if the government invests now in key infrastructure. The, the group is arguing, urging, I should say, the Chancellor to announce spending plans to avoid widespread unemployment as the furlough scheme comes to an end. Research by Transition Economics for the TUC said 1.24 million jobs could be created by 2022. The report says it would cost £85 billion, but it would pay for itself by creating jobs across the economy and boosting growth and tax receipts. Well, that is critical, isn't it? Creating jobs in a time like this and trying to avoid unemployment, which is the big thing that will spiral us into an even deeper depression. Well, meanwhile, councils in England will be given an extra £105 million to support rough sleepers put up during lockdown. Thousands of rough sleepers have been housed in hotels and B&Bs during the coronavirus. But councils and charities have called for help to ensure people don't have to return to the streets 
when those hotels reopened to the public on July the 4th. Dame Louise Casey, who leads the government's rough sleeping task force, said the funding meant nobody would need to return to the streets. However, the funding is not a long-term solution to homelessness. It's a stopgap merely until longer-term policies can be worked out later in the year. And MPs have voted down some controversial proposals introduced by the leader of the House of Commons, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I think it may be the government's first or one of the first defeats they've had, given the fact they have an 80-seat majority. But the plans would have allowed MPs to debate complaints about serious bullying and harassment. In an open letter seen by The Guardian, past and present, parliamentary staff, union leaders, MPs and women's groups accused Rees-Mogg of undermining the new independent system designed to prevent bullying and sexual harassment in Parliament by allowing MPs to debate the sanctions. But yesterday, an amendment tabled by the Labour MP Chris Brandt, which ruled out debating complaints against MPs in the chamber, actually passed by five votes. Who would have thought it? Yes, that one was well, that's, controversial. Well, it's a difficult it? one. Yeah, it is a very difficult one, but very interesting, uh, given the sense of what's going on on the back benches. Well, let's hear from Parliament directly, because we're going to link up with Rob Hutton, our UK government reporter. Now, Robert, thanks for joining us. Um, first of all, I mean, we're talking about the word gamble. The word gamble, in fact, appeared on your piece on the terminal because essentially that's what it is. Boris Johnson is making a wager that England's economy can revive without further endangering the health of the population. Now, there have been dire warnings from concerned scientists, not least the open letter talking about a second virus wave that appeared in the British Medical Journal this morning. So is this gamble going to work? What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, it's, it, 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 let me set out the problem that, that faces Boris Johnson. You've got millions, I mean, millions and millions of jobs that are being currently sort of supported by the Treasury. A lot of them in, in industries where you can't work remotely, um, which means hospitality um, and uh, restaurants and pubs and hotels. And uh, the, the, we, we're just entering summer. The school holidays start in the middle of July. And the very clear fear in government is that if you don't get those people back to work uh, in July, those jobs just disappear. The, the hotels close, the pubs close. And so, and it's not clear, by the way, that, if, that even if you reopen them, that all of those places will survive. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine. Are people going to want to go to pubs? Are people going to want to go to restaurants? Are you, are the, the, does the, the, the arithmetic around these places change when you suddenly have to space everybody out. Who knows? But this is the one chance, basically, to get that stuff open. The danger, as you say, is what if there's a second spike? Um, and almost certainly, if people are moving around more, there will be more infections. I think why they think they can do it at the moment is that whereas in March there was not the testing capacity, they were able to test do perhaps 8,000 tests a day or something, now... Well, it's debated exactly how many they can do, but north of 100,000, certainly. Um, there was not the ventilator capacity if you suddenly need, needed to put a load of people into hospital. And treating COVID-19 was just unknown, whereas now, sadly, we've got a lot of doctors and nurses who've got a lot of experience of treating people with it. So they sort of, it's not so much I think that they think there won't be a second, an uptick is what they're calling it, as that they think they can probably cope with a bit of an uptick. So that's, that's the calculus. 
And where does Test and Trace fit into this? Because the government's been talking for ages about getting this well-beating system in. We haven't seen it yet. Is that going to be up and running in some form before we get this risk of a second wave? Well, that is one of the areas in which, I mean, if you if you listen to what ministers were saying yesterday, there was a lot of talk about how, oh, well, you know, we're following the plan that we set out and this is all, you know, we're on course. On the plan that they set out at the start of May, there was, I think, going to be a, a an app that would measure whether you and I had stood near to each other for within two metres for, for more than 15 minutes or more than half an hour is, is the sort of rubric. Um, and and then if I developed symptoms, you would get an alert. And and we all sort of spent ages writing about that. That's just not happening now. And that's that we we now may get that before the winter. So that is definitely off course. Instead, we have this system where if I test positive, somebody phones me up and says, "Who have you spoken to?" And I have to, I have to rack my brains and think of everyone. And then I have to think about whether or not I have their phone numbers. Um, and and that's clearly much more ad hoc um and then they the the sort of the ministers are putting the best face on it saying oh well you know people prefer that 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 people prefer the personal contact but i think if if they had an app they would use an app so we don't know um it, it's better than the no system that there was in march again that's one reason why they sort of they feel like they're better placed than they were in march to cope with spikes because there was no real sort of testing and tracing capacity once you got past about 10 cases a day you they couldn't do it um but uh they don't know and of course another thing that they really don't know at the moment i guess rob is whether or not the british public are coming along with them in this are they leading them or are they being dragged with them because i think it's an open question just interestingly you guys snap polling showed 47 percent of people thought boris johnson got it about right yesterday 37 percent thought he relaxed the rules too far and seven percent thought he hadn't gone far enough so it's it's pretty mixed do you think he's going to be able to bring the public along with him it is well this is this is this is this is one of the problems in a sense is it's not so much almost whether they think he's doing the right thing although that matters at one level it's it's are they going to? It's, it's, it's one thing for me to think he's, he's moving at about the right speed. It's another thing for me to think, well, am I going to go to the pub? Um, and a lot of the messaging you're going to see is, is, look, go to the pub. Please go to the pub, go to the restaurant, whatever. But we will all be making our own calculations. I, for instance, would be, probably be quite happy to go to the pub. I would not go and visit my elderly father. Um, at the moment, because I, I, I think there's a different calculus of risk between those uh, those two decisions. And all of us will be making those decisions and we'll be thinking about this stuff. And then on top of that, there are problems like, well, if, if you think about the context in which you go to the pub, quite often you go to the pub because you're in town and you've finished work. Well, when I finish work now, not today, but most days, I'm at home. Uh, so... I won't be going to the pub in town. You know, the, the Red Lion pub right next to Parliament, I'm not sure how it's going to survive if we all keep um, working from home. So so there's all sorts of stuff about this that is just not straightforward. And on top of that, we're looking at England here, really, because Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland have other systems. Is there any sign of any form of alignment between them? Because we still see some pretty significant gaps between England's movements and the other nations. Yeah, that's really... So they all went in together. And um, 
And one of the interesting things was that, that particularly Scotland, um, the, the, sort of the second largest nation of the UK, and one whose government is, is very focused on emphasising divisions uh, between uh, Scotland and England. Scotland went into lockdown pretty much in lockstep with the UK. It is not coming out in lockstep. And although what what might happen is that Nicola Sturgeon sort of says, well, I'm taking a few days and then announces that she's making a similar decision. I mean, the calculus is much the same there. They, they, have, or they too have a huge hospitality industry. Their school holidays start earlier as well. So that, that puts even more pressure on her. So uh, we don't know yet is the answer. So whether this is a genuine difference or whether this is a difference where Sturgeon does not want to be seen to be led by, by Johnson and wants to be her own woman uh, is not yet clear. And briefly, if you would, Rob, because we're running out of time, but um, what about the consensus in Parliament, where you are? I mean, is there still a party consensus on most of this? Um, I don't know. I've sort of been in here for about two hours, and I've so far spoken to one MP. It's very quiet here. Um, the, the, Johnson's party is behind him, and indeed, actually, cross-party, there isn't a huge amount of division on roughly what should happen. And even roughly when it should happen, there's an awful lot of Labour criticism on exactly how it's been done, particularly over schools and particularly over all sorts of areas of, of government misstep. But, but on the timing of this, uh, Keir Starmer yesterday was, was pretty much behind Boris Johnson. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you? and not against you. With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.